Welcome to the Fire Inside Her podcast, a safe space for leadership, self-care, and community. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and it is my privilege to be your guide on the journey to authenticity. Hi, friend. We are back for part two of my conversation with Kimberly Lightly. If you have not already listened to episode 28, go ahead and stop right now and go back to episode 28 and listen to her story. This episode is about the rising. It is about how she handled the trauma and the grief and how she honors the memory of her 14 brothers and sisters who lost their lives that day in the South Canyon fire and how she continues to share her experience, her knowledge, her compassion, her humanness to help others learn and to provide support. It's another fantastic conversation, and I want to dive right into it. So without further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Kimberly Lightly. What you chose, if you don't mind sharing, what your choices were moving forward and how you have spent since that incident advocating for wildland firefighters and mental health and sharing your story. And I have so much respect for you because I can't imagine that it's easy and still be this incredible badass that your legacy and you carry the legacy of those that didn't make it that day. And I just think that's one of the most beautiful tributes you can give to someone is to honor them the way that you have. Thank you. Those brothers and sisters that went before us on that day, and then so many cents. I mean, it's just, it's your motivation, right? You get up in the morning and obviously there's not a day in my life that's gone by where they're not telling me to either put my chin up or they're yelling at me <laughs> kindly. But anyway, aftermath was not kind for me. I didn't do good for a long, I wasn't well in I call it my decade of darkness. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was a decade, but it was definitely a very dark place. And, you know, we don't need to go into too much depth there. But, you know, just where I found myself, I didn't know who I was anymore. You know, that was my um, my love. You know, firefighting was what put me through college, basically. You know, my dorm room was just plastered with fire posters and everything. And I even wore my fire boots, you know, during the school year to keep my calluses. I mean, I was just like, that was who I was, right? <laughs> and I loved it. You know, thinking back of who I was at the time when, when this happened, it was like this huge betrayal, you know, of something that I loved. And yet it killed me and it killed our crew. So yeah, my spirit was very much dead for a long time and and choice wasn't even 
I couldn't even fathom. And so I ended up leaving the U.S. Forest Service. I tried to to stay for a few years following the South Canyon fire, but, you know, it's just those daily reminders, you know, I still worked in Pineville and it was just like, ugh. And so I thought, well, if I ran away, <laughs> I literally took a another 180 turn and I made a choice to work. And this is going to sound funny, but I made a choice to work as a pharmaceutical research chemist. And I worked in a laboratory and I wore a white lab coat and goggles and I you know, worked with early stage drug development, you know, in the pharmaceutical. It was a respite in a sense, because I had to focus on something entirely different and actually, you know, use different parts of my brain and just really focus on the micro level of something I really didn't enjoy that much. You know, I liked the people that I worked with. Safe. But yeah, it was safe. It was safe. But what was weird is, you know, the body, the mind, you know, those, those trauma pieces, I used to say it's like a tattoo. I mean, you just can't, you know, <laughs> you can't cover it up. It's like black leg, you know, in the wildland fire community, we have PPE, we have personal protection equipment, but, you know, really the soot, the ash, I mean, it gets in your pores and your legs your arms, and everything. And so I remember when I was little, you know, on the fire, I'd come home at night, my mom would look at me, you know, and, and give me a can of Comet and a Tuffy, you know, it's like, go straight, we'll get cleaned up, you know, and, and you can't get the black out of your pores. I mean, it's in there, right? And so trauma pieces, it's in there. I mean, it's in my pores, it's in my fiber of who I am and at the cellular level. And so, you know, just the grief component uh, associated with losing brothers and sisters was outrageous. I mean, it was like, it was horrible horrific. And then the, the trauma piece too, the sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, and how that embedded itself in me. And so even at, at the pharmaceutical place, you know, there would be like these wind events, you know, and, and wind through the poplar trees outside the lab. And I'd go outside and I'd literally just start hyperventilating and all these things start happening. And of course the nightmares and, you know, the post-traumatic stress you know, it was crippling. And so I finally went and, you know, I, I went through a lot of trauma therapy. You know, we unpacked so much and I did EMDR, which is the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, but, you know, really had an amazing therapist who was patient. And we went through not only the grief component, you know, the trauma piece as well. And so, when I was working as a chemist, I was also on their safety committee and response team. So, you know, we worked a lot with our local fire department and the, you know, just SCBAs and, and hooking up to the oxygen and everything. And, and there was a training officer, uh, training chief from the local fire department, Ben Fire Department, Mark Taylor. And he would come and this was after 9-11 occurred. And we got to talking one day and he had gone back to New York City after 9-11 and had come back to Central Oregon after being out there right after the World Trade Centers came down. And he told us his story. Um, this is probably in 2003 or something like that. And I remember 
talking to him about South Canyon and he told me that telling your story is very cathartic. And I'm like, oh boy, what is that word? You know, and I remember running back and it up in the dictionary. It's like, what's cathartic? Anyway, he invited me to speak November of 2006 to his rookie structural class here in Central Oregon. And up until that time, I I had never told my story. Never, you know, out loud. <laughs> this is like 12 years afterwards, and, and I get to tell my story to a classroom full of young firefighters. I went in and it was just a gush, you know, all the stuff I had kept inside of me and it just came out. And I I say those poor guys, (laughs) you know, it was like two hours later. I'm like, oh, do you guys need a break? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So that kind of was the ball that started things. And I, I wrote a letter to the, at the time, the assistant chief of the U.S. Forest Service back in the Washington, D.C. office. And wrote this letter to her and I said, you know, we did a really good job taking care of our families after South Canyon fire. I said, but the coworkers, you know, and I, obviously I was talking about myself. I'm like, I didn't do so hot, you know, and I'm still struggling, you know, and what do we have to take care of our people? And so that was like pivotal moments, you know, not only the structural training chief that gave me a chance to tell my story, but also, you know, going to that, I don't know what possessed me to to write a letter, but the chief actually, you know, listened and put me in contact with some really amazing people. And, and then, you know, just started to talk and, you know, I discovered the National Fallen Firefighter Foundation and their fire programs and taking care of our own. And, you know, just started speaking and and doing peer support and getting connected with the Wildland Firefighter Foundation and, you know, just more peer support and the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation and and doing the individual and group, you know, peer stuff and stress management. I mean, it was just like this, you know, talk about, I mean, one snowball, it was just like a multitude of snow. An avalanche. It was. It was opportunities and the door opened. It was like, oh, we're ready. You know, we're ready. It's almost like the universe had to wait for you to be ready for you to process everything. And I think the one huge takeaway is that you can't rush grief. You can't rush healing. And you also can't outrun it. You can't hide from dealing with it. And it's so vulnerable and profound because we all carry different kinds of trauma. There's no comparison. And for you to be this example of, yes, you can experience an absolute horrible, horrible life-changing experience, carry it for quite some time, and then heal from it. And take that experience to make it better for everyone else. So it doesn't have to happen again. So you can look out for other wildland firefighters. And I know that after South Canyon, you know, the U S fire service made some pretty big strides in safety and communication. And and that was a sentinel fire for you. Clearly it was also a sentinel fire for the U S fire service and forest service. As we're talking, I'm reminded that it was just last week that we 
honored the 10-year anniversary of the Granite Mountain Hotshots, another Sentinel fire, Sentinel event. And I guess my question is, how has the healing and this process over the last 29 years, really, how has that helped you find your authentic self after kind of breaking up with the identity that, you know, maybe I'm not a firefighter or I was a long time ago and and now it's different because things happened and processing all that trauma and the experience, how has it helped you to become more authentic and how has it changed you and how you look at the world every day? That's a very good question. 29 years ago, I thought I was very authentic, right? But looking back to my little me, it was you know, I was very crew-centric, you know, that was my family, that's who I was, my identity. When those things went away, my identity, my my nerve, my my brothers and my sisters, everything was gone. I was left with a shell, and it's like, how do I fill this shell up? And it was a very empty shell for quite a few years. As time goes on and I've had these amazing, rich experiences with, you know, the fire service. And we're talking both structural and and wildland and and in between and all these amazing public servants and meeting folks on all different levels. And then experiencing these events that just shake our core again and again and again, you know, and and going, I have had the privilege of, of serving at the National Fallen Firefighter Memorial Weekend every every year. And so, you know, you see the families and you see the little children and you see the, the fire service and how we carry the heartache and the, the events and really been focusing on purpose and passion and what fills the shell, right? What fills me and what brings me joy? Because we're all on a timeline (laughs) and we don't know when that timeline is going to cease. And so therefore you really, every single day, it's like, okay, what's my purpose and passion for today? And the last few years, I've, I've really focused more on the inner self in the sense like I've been giving a lot, but then it's like, okay, what is it that I need as well? And and with the purpose piece, I had the amazing opportunity to further my education recently in risk management. And I took a course, obviously there's lots of courses with a graduate program, but you know, there's some coursework that really challenged me as an individual and looking at what is my vision statement and what is my purpose and what is the passion piece. And and this is hours spent, you know, writing these essays of like, blah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It was challenging. It was gut-wrenching. It was like, oh, I want to be so, so true to myself here. And coming out the other side, I feel like more than ever right now, I feel like I've been fulfilling that purpose piece. And, you know, I've had these amazing opportunities to work with individuals. And as you well know, Diane, you know, the Omna International with the staff. And we've been uh, able to be in our wildland fire 
apprenticeship programs and work. I get to speak and I get to be with and educate and pass on knowledge and some wisdom and receive it as well from our young firefighters of today and being with them as they, you know, traverse their own journeys and face the hardships and face that. But to be able to be in person and be that, you know, just sit around and, you know, we have these discussions like, yeah, I don't have all the answers for you guys, but this worked for me for maybe it'll work for you, you know, as far as, you know, dealing with stress and dealing with what I call stress injuries, you know, things that come our way in life that really rock our boat. And it's like, how do we navigate, you know, these new waters that we've never been in just trial and error sometimes, but, you know, giving yourself some forgiveness and giving others forgiveness and sitting with that. So the authentic self, it's choice as well. It's like just being able to be honest with yourself and sitting and identifying what brings you that purpose, passion thing. That is magical to hear. And it's so true. And it seems easy to say, and it's a little more challenging in practice, you know, and that sitting with yourself, right? Just even that simple, just sitting with yourself and really listening can be scary because I think sometimes we have our security detail that's, you know, in your head telling you all these things to protect you, but then really what brings you joy and your purpose and your passion may conflict with that. And it's scary sometimes to listen to that. How do you take care of yourself? Like, what have you learned to do to take care of yourself? I'm, I'm sure it's evolved over time. My guess is the tools that you use to take care of yourself during that dark period may have evolved as well to, you know, really nurture your soul and find that joy. Yes. So it's been an evolution, let's just say. This is not my idea. I I have a friend who worked in the counseling unit for the FDNY, Captain Frank Lido, and after 9-11, I asked New York City firefighters, how did you take care of your people? And, you know, he said, we just made our rounds to all the firehouses and we'd sit at their kitchen table and we'd give them a menu of options, right? Because we're all individuals and what helps one person may or may not help another, right? And so just having menu of options. And and so I look back on my life and, and the menu of options Thank goodness my parents, uh, they took a lot of effort and time, and we spent a lot of time in the great outdoors growing up. And so as far as creating my own safety zone uh, after South Canyon, um, the forest has always been my safety zone, you know. And so the serenity um, to this day provides me that respite and taking care of myself. And so there's skill sets that I have cultivated along the way. You know, in the fire service, we talk a lot about situational awareness. And to me, being out in the great outdoors, there's a lot of situational awareness that I I take to heart. And, and one of those is curiosity. And so curiosity and getting really into the details of your surrounding and one of my favorite summer jobs I had before I was a hotshot, I did a, a stint with botany and, you know, just learning this, the genus and species of all the little orbs and 
the vegetation that we have in the forest. And so to this day, I have all my botany books, right? And I go out and I just sit, like, for example, tomorrow is July 6th. It's the 29th anniversary of South Canyon. Well, I'm going out in the woods and I'm going to take my botany book, sit, and I'm going to identify, you know, flowers. And there again, it's giving your mind a break from all that's going on, all the stresses of life, right? And really focusing into a micro environment of like, hi, what are you? Oh, you're lupin, but what kind of lupin are you? Or, you know, what kind of penstemon are you? Or whatever, you know? And and I think of it, I met a firefighter, a wildland firefighter at the Apprentice Academy years ago, and we were talking about how to release stress. And, and he was from the Angeles National national forest, which is down by LA. Right. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, and he had all this stress in his life, be it relationships or work or whatever. And he goes, well, I go home and I put together model airplanes, like, and he has thousands of little pieces. And he goes, I could go into the zone and go into that micro zone and just putting all these little pieces together. He goes, after a while, all the stress just goes away right? Because he's so focused on that task at hand. And so I've always taken that heart. It's like how the brain's amazing, but how we need to give it rest. And, you know, obviously some people pray or whatever you're, I just love to get out in the woods, but that too has evolved. There's been a lot of strategies I've had along the way. I, I took up Taekwondo for many years, really loved the discipline of it, as well as just the you know, humility, I guess, the courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, indomitable spirit, you know, those those tenets were always important. There's been a lot. Yeah. I have my dogs. <laughs> you have to have a menu, a menu of strategies. I love that. And if you're okay with it, I'm going to use that. I love that menu of strategies because it's not a one size fits all. And I think sometimes in my experience, when I've been in a really dark place, it's like, okay, well, I just give me the X, Y, Z to do. And if it doesn't feel right, it's never going to work. And I think sometimes that gets left out. Like, well, here's A through Z, just pick a couple different things and there's no judgment and just find what works for you to, like you said, give your mind a break. And you're talking about the model thing. And for me, I love to build things. Like I have a miter saw, so I'll build chairs or shelves or, you know, I just, I have to build or create something with my hands when I'm super anxious and just kind of out of sorts or, you know, trying to process big transitions in my life. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and that, to your point, everyone has something. And I would say that, you know, also, a, you know, you giving back and you taking that and, you know, sharing your story, has it been cathartic? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what's really cool about telling your story is it gives people permission to tell theirs. It's such a full circle. It's empowerment. There's a lot of story left to tell, you know, a lot of folks just have. Well, and we, we tend to see snapshots of people's lives. And I would say that, you know, the South Canyon fire does not define who you are as a person. It definitely changed your life. 
and it's part of your story, but it's not your entire story. And I find, and maybe part of it is wisdom. I believe that as we get older, we realize that, that, you know, when you're in the middle of it and it's really hard and messy, you think this is my story or what am I going to do next? How am I going to get through this? And then after time and getting through it, you realize it's part of the story. There's a lot more to the story. And I always encourage and hope that people can give that grace to everyone else. You know, that everyone's going through different things that we have no idea about. And it's just a snapshot of who they are in that moment in time. Definitely contributed to who I am today. However, the definition of who I was then and now is so different. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure. Well, and I think, you know, also, and you haven't said it specifically, but the community aspect of this, the how you have crew community is unlike anything else. And I will tell you, I miss that more than anything else. Not, you know, being now that I'm retired from the fire service, that is what I miss. I miss the crew and the people. And to have that taken away is awful. And you have built more community around that. And I think that's beautiful too, because that's another choice, right? To open yourself up and build another community or not. Yeah. So it took many, many, many years for the surviving crew members to get together. It actually occurred 17 years after we got together, you know, after the South Canyon fire. And now, I mean, that's the tribe, right? It's such a beautiful uh, support group we have with the benefits of cell phones. We have this text group and we, you know, there's some of us that go back to the South Canyon fire um, multiple times a year, in fact, uh, to do staff rides up on the mountain. And so, I mean, we're together, you know, and, and it's such an intimate group of us, you know, obviously, but it's, that's your tribe, you know, that's your support. But then, like you were saying, the community, so the, the community of the fire service, right? And so regardless of structural or wildland, it's like, I, I remember years ago, I was speaking at the Boston Metro Fire Department Safety Conference. And, you know, it's like, why am I here in Boston? Just didn't make sense, right? But I'll go. Sure. I love Boston. And so I, I spoke on this platform and Afterwards, this crusty old fire dog, right? 40 whatever years in the service in Boston. And he came up to me and he pointed a finger at me and he goes, You get it. You get it. That was like the biggest compliment ever, right? And here I am from Oregon, Boston Metro Fire. I mean, it's like worlds apart. It's like we are a big family. <laughs> we may not know each other, but it's just that part of you get it you get it well and that's one of the best parts of it and you're right i you know when i met you in may at the l580 staff ride in gettysburg i didn't really know anyone and it was a really kind of bizarro time because you know i'm getting ready to retire and here i am surrounded by these incredible people humans from the wildland in the omna group and i'm like I don't want to leave. Maybe I shouldn't leave. This is a terrible idea <laughs> because that <laughs> that energy, that love of, you know, 
shared experience through being a first responder, being on the front lines, whether it's wildland or EMS or structure or, you know, law enforcement, there's a, a bond there that is really hard to explain, but you know it when you have it and you feel it. Yep. Yep. I would love to talk to you forever. And I'm so grateful that you have shared so much of your story. I think what I want to know, if you don't mind, I'm curious, what are the things that you're most grateful for today? Well, (laughs) it would be um, obviously family, you know, just with ebbs and flow and the circles of grief and, and trauma, those who have stuck with you the whole way, um, you're, you're good and you're bad and you're ugly and you're joy, those types. And when I say family, it's, yes, it's, it's immediate family as well as those family of friends as well. So human connection, even though I love to escape and, and be by myself and, you know, be in the woods or wherever I go, but, you know, really knowing that those connections to others it's the greatest gift. And, and, you know, we could say the word love too. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for my, um, my foundation and, and my beliefs and the ability to find hope and cling on to hope when things get or have gotten really rough in life. I have a place in my heart for people who struggle deeply. So I'm just thankful that. I didn't lose the grip. I am thankful for <laughs> the ability to for movement. Every time I go out on a, a walk, run, bike, whatever, hike, it's like, thank you for the ability to move and breathe and just live life in its fullest. It's a gift, and uh, I don't want to take it for granted. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. I think there was a long time that I had a lot of survivor's guilt and I believed I should have died up on that mountain. And I was actually not very happy that my assistant superintendent got me off the mountain. And so I didn't want to be here. (laughs) And so the fact is I'm thankful that that has shifted to the words, I'm thankful to be here. That's really powerful, along with really beautiful. And that takes a lot of courage. And to be so vulnerable and sharing all of this is such an honor. So thank you again. You are a badass. I'm just going to keep saying it over and over. Um, (laughs) Not in like a creepy stalker fangirl way, but yes, you are a badass. How can people work with you and I will put all the information in the show notes, but how do you like to work with people and organizations? So after the pharmaceutical chemist, thank goodness I'm not that anymore. I did go back to the U.S. Forest Service in 2014, and I did work in the Washington office. I worked out of Oregon, but in fire and aviation, and I was a risk management program specialist. And just last August, left the Forest Service and started my own 
LLC. So I'm Kimberly Lightly LLC. And, you know, I, I just contract with different entities that fulfill my purpose and passion. I'm very much in tune with what makes me tick. And so, you know, just working with, you know, like you've mentioned, the the Omna International and working staff rides and, and being with the fire community um, one-on-one. Just last week, I you know, did a new employee orientation and I got to talk to um, like 45 new wildland firefighter type folks and, you know, just not only integrating my story, but, you know, I've been the national program manager for Stress First Aid for wildland firefighters. Uh, it's another, you know, a program area that we brought into the agency from the National Fallen Firefighter Foundation and the National Center for PTSD. So, you know, just working with just that mental health component and then integrating story in that. I do love to talk about crisis leadership, how we as leaders, so, you know, not only the preparation and getting our resources and coordination and all that, but, you know, during the critical incident, making those acute decisions and those, you know, finite moments of time. And then the aftermath, what is the long-term approach? You know, it's crisis leadership moving forward after a critical incident. How do we take care of our people? So, you know, there's a lot of different things like that, but people, you know, if there's interest in that, you know, you'll have my Gmail address and I'd be happy to engage in conversation. But yeah, I, I like being a speaker. I've, I've done everything from international to world Congress to a lot of different safety venues and so yeah, there's a lot of eclectic type of uh, things. Multi-passionate. Multi-passionate. Yes. <laughs> I like, that's what I say. Cause I'm like, well, I like to do a little bit of everything cause it all is really cool. So I think that's awesome. And you know, I've started saying, you know, I quit working for the fire service, but I'm not done working with the fire service. And, you know, I feel like that's a similar sentiment that, you know, taking your experience and your wisdom and, you know, who you are as a leader and as a badass and sharing that with a bigger audience is really amazing. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Thank you, Diane. And likewise. (laughs) Thank you so much. I will put all this information in the show and I look forward to seeing you in the future at different events and staying in touch. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for giving the valuable gift of your time and listening to the Fire Inside Her podcast. Speaking of value, one of the most common potholes we fall into on the journey to authenticity is not recognizing our value. So I created a workbook. It's all about value. Head on over to thefireinsideher.com slash value to get your free workbook that will help you remember your value. Until next time, my friend.